from MPB Think Radio. This is In Legal Terms, a show all about you and your rights. I'm Sharita Brink here with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guest today is certified elder law attorney Richard Courtney at Fresconia Courtney PLLC in Jackson, Mississippi. October is Special Needs Law Month, so today we'll talk about planning and providing for persons with disabilities, including Medicaid and other public benefit programs. What does Medicaid cover? What kinds of disabilities are there? You can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING with any questions you have. That's 877-672-7464 or email us, legalterms at mpbonline.org. We'll be back right after the news. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Sherita Brent here with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guest today is in studio with me, certified elder law attorney Richard Courtney of Frasconia Courtney, PLLC in Jackson, Mississippi. October is Special Needs Law Month, so today we'll be talking about planning and providing for persons with disabilities, including Medicaid and other public benefit programs. You can give us a call if you have any questions or comments. I also will talk about what does Medicaid cover, what kinds of disabilities are there, 877-MPB-RING is the number if you want to join the conversation. That's 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Professor Gershon. How are you? Happy that Rick Courtney is on the show today because uh, he really is an expert in this area. And it's such an important area that people don't always think about. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Attorney Courtney, thank you for being in today. So delighted to be here. So let's talk a little bit about the idea of National Special Needs Law Month. Um, I read that it's a, a grassroots effort to help people with disabilities and their families understand special needs planning and the resources available to them. So do you find often that many don't know about these resources? Oh, yes. There's a lot of uh, lack of information out there. I started to say misinformation. There's some of that, too. People mm-hmm. read things on the Internet they may misinterpret what they're reading, or it may not be fully uh, informative but uh, or misleading, but a lot of people are not familiar with what programs there are for people with disabilities, both children and adults, and we counsel a lot of people in our office about those. So is this an area of law that is um, progressing and advancing? Uh, are, have there been some breakthroughs recently? Yes, there there have been some programs and some laws passed that help people with disabilities uh, to provide for their own welfare. And we'll get into some of those, I think, as we go forward. The ABLE Act is one that uh, has been passed recently. And uh, Dean Gershon did a presentation on that at a conference in Florida last week that I attended and a very fine uh, presentation on the ABLE Act, which allows a person with a disability to have their own savings account without mm-hmm. losing SSI or Medicaid. And so we'll talk more about that. But also there has been um, legislation enacted or uh, passed in Congress, but it's still waiting passage by both houses that would enable uh, people with disabilities to establish their own special needs trust 
to have to allow them not to have to go through court proceedings to do that. So there has been some progress made in the rights of people with disabilities to make it easier for them to find resources and, and provide for themselves in their long-term care. Uh, and people are learning more about um, people with disabilities and things. Our, some people don't know that our legislature, along with most other states in recent years, have passed laws that say we don't call people mentally retarded or crippled people anymore. Mm -hmm. We refer to them by people-first language. And to me, that's very important. I have a daughter with a disability, and so it's a person with a disability. That's how Mm -hmm. we refer to it. They're a person. They may have a disability, but they've got capabilities as well. Mm -hmm. So we refer to people-first, a person with cerebral palsy or something like that. So that's even enacted into our laws now. The legislation that's passed will have those terms in it. That's good. Well, uh, can we talk a little bit about what kinds of disabilities are there when we talk about this topic in in particular? Mm -hmm. Sure. There are two basic types of disabilities. One type is uh, developmental disabilities. You may hear that term sometimes. That means that there are disabilities that occur naturally at some point during development of the person. Uh, Cerebral palsy is one that nothing traumatic may have happened, but there is some um, problem with the development in the in the womb and with the birth that caused cerebral palsy or multiple sclerosis is one uh, muscular dystrophy autism those are developmental disabilities because they develop organically in the person then there are acquired disabilities someone with a traumatic brain injury from a, an accident that's an acquired disability or a stroke is an acquired disability. So those are the two types of disabilities, and they can uh, occur at different times and different ages, but they can bring on some of the same issues and problems. Mm -hmm. 877-MPB-RING is the number if you want to join the conversation today. This uh, October is Special Needs Law Month, and we have uh, Professor Richard Gershon and Attorney Richard Courtney in with us today. We're going to be talking about uh, some of the rights and resources available to people with disabilities. If you have, uh, if you are a caretaker and you have questions about these rights and resources, call us at 877-MPB-RING. We'll get into Medicaid and SSI benefits. 877-672-7464 is the number. Or you can send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Um, since you brought up the ABLE Act, uh, maybe you or Professor Gershon can uh, talk a little bit about what that is. All right. Uh, Dean Gershon, do you want to add, respond to that? I'd be happy to, Rick. Uh, you know, there have been 529 plans for savings for education. In fact, they talked a little bit about it on uh, in Money Talks right before we were on. Uh, and, uh, and the ABLE Act, though, allows uh, families or individuals to save uh, for um, someone who is disabled Similarly, in a, in a 529-like plan, it's a 529A is what it's called, uh, they can uh, put $14,000 per year into that plan, uh, and it is uh, it grows tax-free uh, as long as the money taken out is used for appropriate purposes. And those purposes would include, for example, a training that the disabled person might need or housing or technology, maybe uh, an addition to a van or something like that. Uh, including uh, you know gyms and uh, uh, physical therapy, so it's it, the idea is to supplement what comes from uh, public benefits, Medicaid, uh, et cetera, 
and um, to, to not disable the person, I, don't, I should probably shouldn't use that term, but not keep that person, disqualify that person from receiving those public benefits. Public benefits are usually uh, given on the basis of a person's assets. But if, you know, the, if the, the money that's in a 529A account doesn't count towards uh, the assets of, the, of the, the beneficiary. Let me add a couple of points to that, too, just a couple of more details. That was a, a good explanation. He said you can contribute. So anyone can contribute up to $14,000 to an ABLE Act account. So for my daughter, Melanie, uh, if we wanted to establish an account for her, if she were on SSI or Medicaid, these funds that we put into that ABLE Act account will not count, although she will control them. It will be her savings account, essentially, but they won't be counted as part of her assets for those eligibility determinations. But you can only have one ABLE Act account. So if if her mother and I were divorced and I decided to establish an ABLE Act account for her, that's the one that's going to be viable. If her mother or some other grandparent or anyone else uh, tries to go and establish another ABLE Act account for her, then that one's not going to qualify. Mm-hmm. You can only have one ABLE Act account. The maximum that can be distri- uh, contributed into that account during a calendar year, as Dean Gershon said, is $14,000. So no more than that. Uh, but as it grows, it's tax-free. And she can, she can control those payments and make payments out of the account for things that she needs. Uh, she can go out of state. Right now, uh, there are four states that have active ABLE accounts open, uh, Nebraska, Florida, um, Ohio, and Tennessee. And you can go to any one of those and open an ABLE Act account there. And we've had some clients in Mississippi that have gone to one of those other states, Tennessee or Ohio generally, to open ABLE Act accounts. In Florida, the Florida's plan is only for Florida residents. But you can go out of state and do it. We have a task force right now that's in place with the legislature. We're studying, in fact, having a meeting this afternoon to look at the draft bill that Mississippi will present before the legislative session in January to approve our ABLE Act account law in Mississippi. And they hope to have it up and running by July 2018. All right. So that that sounds really good. And I was uh, very curious to hear about the overseers of these accounts, uh, you know, making sure that uh, the people have protection and that they are not being taken advantage of. Um, And so when it comes to, like, getting statements and things like that, um, what are your thoughts on that uh, to to make sure that the individual whose ABLE account it is knows what's coming in, what's coming out, or can anything come out without a, a penalty? Well, they can spend money without a penalty, but even a guardian or a conservator of a beneficiary uh, who is not capable of managing their own money, mm-hmm. if they have a guardian or conservator in the uh, approved by the court, that person can be the one who controls the ABLE Act account for them. So that would generally be a protective measure. Uh, Dean Gershon, any other thoughts you have about that? Well, and uh, you know, I think that's uh, – Rick, by the way, I may have given the presentation, but Rick is definitely the, the expert in this area. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's one of those things where um, – He gave the presentation on pick tax the right day. So. <laughs> <laughs> you got to pick the right person. You got you know, and that's that's true whether you're picking you know a guardian uh, for you know uh, something like this, or establishing a trust, you know, or you know having somebody uh, manage the estate, the personal representative or executor of an estate. You got to make sure you got somebody you can trust and somebody that uh, understands what what their duties are, 
And that's an important starting point. Uh, one thing I want to add to the, the ABLE Act discussion that, that's also really important that, that we would be remiss in not stating is we don't know what the Mississippi legislature will do specifically, but the states who have adopted um, ABLE uh, accounts to this point, the majority of them require a payback of Medicaid or to Medicaid at the end if there's still assets in the account. So, you know, that's something that people should look into as well. There might be a uh, what is called a lien against those assets by, by the Medicaid uh, program in that state. That's a really good point. And when in our planning with clients, if a grandparent says, well, I want to open a, an ABLE Act account for my grandchild, I'll say, well, there is this Medicaid payback at the end, so you're, whatever may be left in that account, and it can grow to $100,000 over time without being counted toward that child's SSI eligibility. It can grow to 235000 or possibly more without disqualifying the child for state Medicaid. So if we have an account that grows to some size later on, I tell the grandparent, at the child's death, the state Medicaid agency is going to get back whatever you put in there. They say, oh, well, well, can I do something that would allow other grandchildren or someone else to get those monies that are left over? Yes, you can. We can do third-party special needs trust planning, which I've done for, we've done for our daughter. So uh, there is no Medicaid payback from those funds. All right. Uh, before we go to the break, we have a question. Are special needs students allocated less money by the legislature? If so, why? I really don't know about allocation of funds for special needs students. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of lightly familiar with the concept of the voucher program that they put in place where uh, a student with disabilities could apply for and get a voucher of 6500 I think, per year to purchase their own uh, related services rather than have them provided by the public school. But other than that, I don't know how the legislature allocates funds for students with disabilities. Okay. All right, we need to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll continue the discussion. Uh, October is Special Needs Law Month, so today we're talking about planning and providing for persons with disabilities. When we get back, we'll talk about Medicaid. Are there Medicaid benefits for younger people with disabilities? We'll also talk about what benefits are available to people with uh, disabilities. You can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. If you have a personal experience you'd like to share, or if you have any questions about benefits, resources, rights, call us at 877-MPB-RING. 877 MPB ring that's 877-672-7464 or email us the address is legal terms at mpbonline.org we'll be back in just a moment This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And 
welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brent, here with Professor Rich Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guest today is certified elder law attorney Richard Courtney of Fresconia Courtney PLLC in Jackson. October is Special Needs Law Month, so today we're talking about planning and providing for persons with disabilities, including Medicaid and other public benefit programs. We'll talk about what what Medicaid covers, also what kinds of disabilities are there. We talked about that a little bit. You can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING if you have any questions or comments about Medicaid benefits for younger people with disabilities, if you have any questions about what resources are available to you, or your rights. Call us at 877-672-672. 7464. Also, if you have any questions about SSI benefits, which we will get into as well, the number is 877-MPB-RING. We do have some lines open. You can also send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Um, so we've heard about Medicaid for nursing home for older adults and things like that. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, what Medicaid is and what it covers? Yeah, I generally explain to people that Medicaid there's not just one Medicaid. Uh, people say, well, I, I, my child's on Medicaid. What kind? Well, I don't know. Uh, hmm. But uh, I describe it as Medicaid is like you go to the flea market. And there's this long pavilion that's got a roof on it. The, the sign on that says Medicaid, but underneath it are all these different booths for different things. And those are the coverage groups that Medicaid has. My daughter has been on three different Medicaid coverage groups. There's one for children. Under Well, let's even start at birth, before the one she was first on. There are Medicaid programs based on household income being around or just above the federal poverty level. So for a low-income household, a pregnant woman can get Medicaid coverage to help her through the pregnancy and the birth. The child up to age six months can get under a program with a certain household income. Then there is another program with a little bit lower income level uh, that's allowed that would uh, apply to children under six who may be healthy children, but they're in this low-income household, so Medicaid is there to provide medical insurance to give them medical care. And then there's another one for children up to age 19. Those are based on income and not assets. But uh, there is a program called Disabled Child Living at Home for significantly disabled children who are younger than age 18. And in that program, uh, which my daughter was on when she was younger, they don't look at the parents' income and assets. They don't look at the household income and assets. They only look at the child's assets and income. So if the child has less than $2,000 with their name on it in money assets, they qualify. So we've had doctors and lawyers and accountants and CPAs uh, all uh, have children that qualified for this Medicaid coverage to help them as younger people. Then if you get SSI benefits, which is a federal program through Social Security, you automatically have Medicaid in Mississippi. Okay. And then there are waiver programs for people at home. And, for instance, my daughter Melanie is on a waiver program called the Independent Living Waiver. That's for adults who have disabilities but who want to have services provided at home, not in an institution like a nursing home. So if they live in an apartment or at their own home, Medicaid can pay for attendance to provide attendant care for a certain number of hours per day and per week, 
They can provide other services, renovations to home environment to make it accessible, those sorts of things, through these waiver programs. And that's Mm -hmm. Medicaid paying for services to someone in the community rather than in a nursing home. So there are there's a four thousand dollar asset limit for the waiver programs. So you have to do things to protect the assets while allowing someone to be eligible for those benefits. All right. If you have any questions about Medicaid benefits, or you can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. October is Special Needs Law Month, so today we're talking about planning and providing for persons with disabilities, including Medicaid and other public benefit programs. So if you have any questions about uh, Medicaid benefits or SSI benefits, give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. If you need more information on what benefits or resources are available in general, call us at 877-672-7464 or email legal terms at mpbonline.org. We do have some lines open, but first we're going to Saha in Starkville who has a question. Good morning. Good morning, Saha. Hi, you're on the air. Hey, how are you? Hey, I have a daughter who is right now 21 years old, and uh, she has from birth a severe disability problem, like she cannot talk or walk on her own. But she can understand when he communicates. So she was going to school, public school, in a special aid program. But because she reaches the age 21, she is now out of school. We are thinking, is there any other program available for her to get involved? Otherwise, she stays at home and she will be lying on bed and get more physically rather uh, impaired or something. Yes, thank you, Saha. This is Rick Courtney. Um, we, we have we have had uh, similar experiences with other clients whose child aged out of this special ed program at age 21, and they no longer have those services available through the school system. But there, she might be eligible for a Medicaid waiver program. You indicate she can't walk without assistance. That's one issue my daughter has. She can't. If your daughter basically has uh, requires assistance with two or more activities of daily living on a regular basis, that's eating, bathing, dressing, toileting, or walking. If she has to, if she has to have help with two or more of those, that's an indication she may qualify for the waiver program because that's that's the level of disability they're looking for for people. And then they could provide some services in the home. They could provide some adult daycare services. And that's one thing we had a client one time before who qualified for the waiver program and was then able, uh, the the wife, the mom, she was divorced. The, the mom was able to take her son then to a day program each day while she went to work teaching school. And it allowed him to have socialization, and they worked with him and did activities. So there may be a program like that available in your community up there. So uh, there's another place that you might want to go check with in Starkville, and that's on the Mississippi State campus, and it's the T yeah. the TK Martin Center. And they have I'm an assist. You have been there? Yeah, they, have, they do not have any special program. Actually, okay. we just went last month to explore all these possibilities. Uh, just to get into waiver program, while I have to 
get information about this weather problem. You, you, know? you could go look up the Department of Rehabilitation Services, and that's the, de- the department where you would apply for those waivers, either there or at your local Medicaid office. Okay. I have another question, if you don't mind. Uh, my daughter gets SSI, but she gets partial support SSI because of my income level high, according to their estimate, and she stays with us. So is that the process? We feel sometimes that it is really penalizing because she stays with us and she gets only half of the SSI because of my income level. Is that the process or is that well, that, that yeah. discourages people to keep their children with them, really. Well, that gener- you've brought up a point about SSI, and that is if she is an SSI recipient and she lives in the household of someone else and is getting f- food and shelter provided by you to her, the SSI program says we're going to give someone $733 a month to buy food and shelter. That's the individual amount, the maximum amount. But if you're, they're getting free food and shelter in the household of someone else, they will cut back that amount by one-third generally. So people with uh, adult children who are living in their parents' household and they're on SSI, they usually don't get the full 733 They get $488 a month of SSI, but they keep Medicaid if they get even a dollar of SSI. And the Medicaid medical insurance is often more important than the monthly payment for those folks. So that's why you're encountering that reduction, I expect. But without more details, it would be difficult to, to be definitive about that. All right, Saha, thank you so much for your call, and good luck to you. We appreciate you calling. We go next to Sandy, who's in Tupelo, with a question. Good morning, Sandy. What do you have for us? Um, I have a question about my husband, if he would be able to get any kind of assistance for assisted living. It's not a nursing home. Uh, and he's already in there, but they they said he, you know, based on income, I think I think they take my consideration, my income in consideration. But the income I have is mostly all in an IRA. So, all right. I don't know if there's any way. I know assisted living is completely different from the nursing home. Yes, it is. Assisted living is a uh, level of care that is below the level of care of nursing home, where they don't have to have 24-7 nurses on staff in the assisted living facilities. And you have to be able to do some things on your own in most of those facilities. Some provide a higher level of care and help than others, and that's up to the facility as to how much care they'll provide. But there is a program with Medicaid called the Assisted Living Waiver Program. We spoke a little earlier about waivers, where Medicaid will make payments for somebody's care services in the community. Even though Medicaid doesn't generally pay for assisted living care, they only pay for medical care, and that's when you go to a nursing home. But if you're in an assisted living facility that participates in the Medicaid Assisted Living Waiver Program, and there are a limited number of those around the state, I don't know if the one he's in participates or not, but you might look for one that does, and in that case, 
if he requires the assistance with daily activities of care, then Medicaid may help pay that nursing, that, that assisted living facility bill. They generally pay up to about $1,500 or so a month to the assisted living bill so that you don't bear the entire cost. But other than that, assisted living is private pay or a long-term care insurance pays for it if you have that. But Medicaid does not generally pay other than if he's in a facility that participates in that assisted living waiver program. Well, I believe they they do participate in that because I remember seeing that on the form, the application. Well, you might might apply for him to be eligible for Medicaid assistance through that and see how that goes. Okay, well, I'll check again because they said he... You know, he's not eligible. I, I guess they consider my income. I, I guess they consider the income in an IRA, too. Well, Medicaid program generally does not look at the uh, community spouse's income in determining the eligibility of the person who's applying. So without looking at more details of your particular situation, I wouldn't be able to tell you. But there are a lot of cases where we've had clients who said, oh, I, I, we would never be able to get Medicaid from myself or my husband, and we get them on Medicaid because we know how to navigate those rules and regulations. Okay, well, I appreciate it. I know he's getting, I think, $1,653 a month, uh, Social Security, so that may take him over the limit as far as his being able to get assistance from Medicaid. Just apply and see what they come back with. All right, I appreciate your help. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sandy. We appreciate your call. Uh, Professor Gershon, do you have any additional thoughts so far? Well, I just wanted to ask Rick. I think this is a great conversation, and you know, the we talk about Medicaid, and there are people who, what if they don't qualify? Um, do they get help from the Affordable Care Act, for example? Uh, you know, if uh, I know there are some uh, premium uh, tax credits that they can take to apply towards purchasing insurance. Do your clients? Do you find your clients using you know the ones who don't qualify for Medicaid still being able to get assistance? Yes, that's a good point, Dean Gershon. Uh, Yes, the Affordable Care Act is there to provide medical insurance to people who apply and uh, qualify. And if, like say, if their income is low enough, they may get subsidies to bring the premium down where it's even more affordable. And I remember years ago I had a lady who had been diagnosed with a condition, cancer, I think, and her, she was at the mercy of her hospital and doctor to treat her. She didn't have money. Her husband had was six months before he would apply, would qualify for the company's uh, health insurance plan for the family when she was diagnosed, and this is when they had pre-existing condition exclusion, so she couldn't get on the coverage. He, he couldn't get it for her. There was no kind of coverage for medical care that we could find for her, and it was a, it was a heart-sinking thing to tell her that, but now I can't tell that to people. I can tell them, yes, there is a way to get coverage. If you don't qualify for Medicaid, then you can get um, and you're not old enough or disabled yet to get Medicare through Social Security disability or being over 65, you can go to the Affordable Care Act. You can go to the federal marketplace and apply and generally get coverage. It may have to pay something for it, but you can get it. And uh, we've had calls from attorneys who were settling inheritances in a probate or in a litigation settlement, and they're getting a lot of money for a client. And they say, well, We understand we can put this money in a special needs trust that won't be counted toward our client's eligibility, and they can keep the Medicaid or SSI and have the money in the trust available to supplement that. And I say, yes, that is a common thing we do 
uh, for people all the time. They said, what if they don't want to be in the Medicaid system? Can we get, can we just keep the settlement money and apply for insurance somewhere? And I said, yes, you can go and try Affordable Care Act insurance and uh, look at getting that. It's based mostly on income and not assets. So there are some people who've chosen to keep their settlement money, not do a special needs trust, and apply for insurance through the Affordable Care Act instead. All right, we need to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll continue the conversation. It is Special Needs Law Month, and we're talking about planning and providing for persons with disabilities. If you have any questions or comments about benefits available to people with disabilities, you can call us at 877-MPB-RING. We do have some line lines open. We'll also talk about how parents can plan for the long-term care of a child with a disability. 877-672-7464 is the number if you want to join the conversation. That's 877-MPB-RING or send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. We'll be back in just a moment. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brent, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guest is certified elder law attorney Richard Courtney of Frasconia Courtney PLLC in Jackson. October is Special Needs Law Month, so today we've been talking about planning and providing for persons with disabilities, including Medicaid and SSI benefits. So if you have any questions or comments about those things, if you want to share personal experiences, call us at 877-MPB-RING. We do have some lines open. The number is 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. We go first to Frank in Jackson, who has a question. Good morning, Frank. Yes, good afternoon. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. Doing well. I am very encouraged by the tenor of the conversation today where we see an individual in private practice relating stories of persons who have some means, maybe not rich, but have some means that are taking advantage of these programs so that we can hopefully spread the word that these programs are not just for the poor. Um, it's very encouraging. Now, my question is, one of the cornerstones of, say, the, a person being denied disability benefits is that there is an appeal process, and that individual can hire an attorney, and the attorney can represent them in an effort to get that uh, denial overturned, and the attorney's fees would be reimbursed. Does Medicaid or what the services that the consultant for elder care, is there a reimbursement uh, provision in these rules to allow persons to get an independent uh, attorney to represent them with the possibility of that person having an economic, economic uh, reward or getting denials overturned? Frank, good question. No, in the Medicaid 
uh, application process, there is no provision for reimbursement of attorney's fees or legal expenses that you spend in going through that. When we have uh, handled filing Medicaid applications for clients, they pay our fees and they're not going to get those reimbursed. Uh, But if Medicaid wrongfully denies coverage to someone and we go to federal court for that, now there's a state appeals process, which we usually use, and there is no provision for repayment or recovery of attorney's fees from Medicaid if you go through the state appeals process. But if you go to the federal court and challenge Medicaid having unconstitutionally denied some benefit, there is a federal statute that would allow in some cases recovery of attorney's fees to go through that process because Medicaid wrongfully denied them, but otherwise generally not. All right, Frank, we appreciate your call. Thank you so much. We go next to Roger, who's in Florence, with a question. Good morning, Roger. Roger, you're on the air. Oh, hi. Hi. First of all, I want to say, Rick, thank you for what you're saying and doing. You're one of the very, very best, and you know that, because uh, you know me. And I admire what you do, and thanks for your time this morning. Thank you. Um uh, now, you and I have, I think, a philosophical and political difference. So, in contrast to the previous caller, I am not pleased. I am very distressed that I am among the shrinking minority of Americans who are proud of the law, which allows rich people to become poor in order to qualify for Medicaid. And you and others, of course, help these people do it. And I disagree with you totally on that. Uh, now, I know that you address all, all kinds of people's needs, including those who are rich and wealthy and have just chosen not to support themselves, turn it over to the taxpayer, and those who cannot make it without uh, your help and without the help of Medicaid. So I understand all that. But I want to say that this program should also address where our country is these days, which makes it possible, not only possible, legal, and of course, there are attorneys who advertise. You don't do this crass advertisement, but there are good friends of mine who advertise Medicaid planning. Medicaid planning? In other words, how to plan to take your your assets, your land, your CDs, your, your Lincoln Continental, everything you've got, turn it over to a trust so you can continue to enjoy the benefits of it, and yet you are poor in the eyes of the law and you are entitled to let us taxpayers pay your way for medical expenses and your nursing home expenses. I think that's deplorable. I think it's a sad commentary on where our country is. And as I said at the beginning, I know I'm among a shrinking minority of Americans. I paid, I've been paying for 15 years for long-term health care insurance out of my own assets. I've probably paid sixty or $70,000. And now my wife is probably with her Parkinson's, is going to be eligible for, to collect something in return for that those payments I've made. We're not going on Medicaid because we don't deserve it. The Medicaid was for poor people, not for rich people who, with the help of attorneys, become poor on paper just so that us taxpayers can pay their medical expenses. That's what Roger Clapp has to say, and <laughs> I know you disagree with some of that, I don't think you disagree with some of it also, so I wish you would comment on that. But the more important stuff, I think, is for people who really have needs, and that's what you're addressing this morning. Judge Clark, right. I'm going to hang it up. Thanks. 
Okay, well, Roger. Thank you for those comments. I'm Judge sure Clapp, I appreciate in. you. I've always appreciated your opinions and your your thoughts uh, because it's shared by a lot of people. And that's what we need is a, a good, open, free exchange of ideas in our country. And in doing what we do in our office, you know, we, we do. I have long-term care insurance for my wife and me. So I'm paying that monthly premium just like you. And I don't intend to to need Medicaid down the road. We're trying to provide for ourselves. A lot of people have not done that. They get older. They can't get long-term care insurance. They really may become more um, destitute over time. It doesn't take long for long-term care costs to to put a big hole in someone's uh, savings and assets. And whether they all, whether it should all be used up before you're eligible or not, all I can say is we tell people we can't game the system. We work with the regulations and the laws that are there. And just like tax attorneys will, you know, have assisted their clients to avoid paying estate or gift or income taxes in different ways using the tax laws, well, we use what is there in the law and in the regulations and policies for Medicaid. But uh, we don't encourage rich people who obviously have the ability to private pay with no real impact on their long-term family security to go to use Medicaid. They may not be able to get it, and it gets harder and harder. The more you have, it gets harder and harder to do. All right. Uh, Rick, uh, go ahead, Professor Gershon. I can just add, you know, a couple of weeks ago on this show, we talked about uh, one of the candidates uh, uh, having, you know, million dollars in, in, in losses that he could offset and, and, and to use, and so he didn't have to pay taxes on large amounts of money. And people called in and said, well, that, that's just smart. That's, you know, that's taking advantage of uh, the law as it's available. And, you know, one of the comments I made then was, and that's why we need to look seriously at, you know, who gets these benefits. But uh, the way the law is set up now, you know, most of the people that Rick helps are people who would be become financially impoverished if they had to pay all these expenses because expenses of disability really, you know, they add up. And so the fact that we have a public system that can help those people not uh, become impoverished uh, is, is really a good thing, and Rick helps them to avoid that, that problem. And one thing that, that the laws and policies of Medicaid uh, do allow is it is much easier for a married person to become eligible for Medicaid, say for nursing home care. Uh, it's much easier for us to help them understand how that person can become eligible and some significant resources be maintained for that at-home spouse. Because you have an at-home spouse in her 70s, she's worried about how she's going to pay for the rest of her lifetime needs. Mm-hmm. And a one or two or $300,000 may not be enough to care for her. So uh, the fact that we could get him on Medicaid in a nursing home and preserve some of their assets for her benefit it's much easier for a married couple to do that under current policies and rules. When there's a single individual, like my mom, if she went to a nursing home, pretty much uh, she's going to have to spend it down. And we tell clients all the time, you, we don't have a solution. We don't have a magic wand solution for you to get Medicaid. You're going to need to spend it down to 4000 All right. Okay. okay. Lots of calls to get to. We yeah. go next to Lisa in Hattiesburg. Good morning, Lisa. What do you have for us? Hi, yes, I have a daughter who is on SSI for children with disabilities, and I do understand that the amount that she receives is based on our income, but um, my husband is the only one working, and he is a teacher, so his salary every month is about the same, Um, but we are now, we have a, a penalty for saying we were overpaid, and we have to pay back, and I tried to appeal, and I was denied 
so her benefits have gone from um, about 700 to about 300 now um, every month. And and then um, we recently have received that same thing. And so the penalty has gone from 1800 to almost 5000 And I'm just not sure how this is being calculated or what I can do. Do you have anything to um, help me? Well, without knowing the circumstances of the reason for the overpayment claim that they've asserted, it would be impossible for me to speculate about that, what you could or could not do. Um, as you as you say, when SSI says we have paid too much in the future in the past because you weren't eligible for these months and we paid you anyway, they do assert the overpayment claim. Often they will take a ten percent per month reduction. So instead of seven thirty three a month, or uh, in your daughter's case, she may be getting just four hundred eighty eight dollars since she's in your household. She may get two thirds of the SSI. Then they would take seventy three dollars and thirty cents, one tenth of the seven hundred and thirty three dollar maximum payment. They would take seventy three dollars and thirty cents a month out of her check from now on until that repayment has been fully made. Uh, that may be what's occurring. I don't know. I don't know the basis for the five thousand dollars you say they've now asserted. So, uh, without looking more at the details and the correspondence from them, I couldn't speculate about that. Okay, Lisa, thank you for your call. We appreciate it. Uh, John is in Madison with a question. Good morning, John. John, you're on the air. Uh, good morning. Um, I was listening about the ABLE Trust. Can can contributions to that trust that's set up be made from another trust out of its earnings and avoid the trust uh, taxes on those earnings? Dean Gershon, I think that's a tax question. Well, as as we know now, the, the ABLE Act was uh, enacted in, in 2015, and states are just now starting to adopt it. But from what I understand, yes, you can. In fact, you can actually um, fund an ABLE account from a special needs trust. Uh, so, you know, that would be the I think the probably the more usual way that that happens. The fourteen thousand dollar amount is simply the amount that uh, qualifies as a tax exempt. Uh, giftable amount under the estate tax provisions. I, that's why they chose that number. Um, and so, yeah, my understanding is you can do that. But let me ask, I think maybe his question was, can you avoid income tax on that distribution from the trust by putting it in an ABLE Act account? And I'm not sure that's a deductible distribution. That's right. That's not. And so, uh, yeah, I, I misunderstood the uh, the fact is, if you you know when the when the money is uh, paid out to the beneficiary, in this case the the trust itself, uh, paying out to the able account, that would be a taxable distribution by the trust. All right, John, thank you so much. Uh, we have an an email. This one is from Roy. Can we set up a five twenty nine A account with any bank, or will we need an attorney to do this for us? That's question one. You don't need an attorney. You need to go to one of the four states, uh, well, one of the three states who are now taking ABLE Act account holders. That would be uh, Nebraska, Tennessee, or Ohio. And I can give you the websites for the Ohio and the Tennessee ABLE Act accounts. You go to their website, and it walks you through how to set up the ABLE Act account. It's an account that will be housed in Tennessee or in Ohio. So you can't just walk into a bank and do this. But the ABLE Act, um, the address, the web address for the ABLE Act account in Ohio is 
uh, www.stableaccount.com, I believe, or .org. Okay. And then the Tennessee is abletn.com or .org. All right. It's okay. Second question. Also, our disabled adult child has money from his grandparents in a regular savings account. Can some of this money be moved each year to the 529A account so that he can receive SSI and Medicaid in the future? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Those can be, that can be the source of funding this ABLE Act account. All right. We're going to try to squeeze in these last two calls. Robin is in Brandon with a question. Good morning, Robin. Yes. Hey, um, what's your question? We have a um, 22-year-old son who um, has an immune deficiency, a vascular necrosis, and has gone into respiratory failure and been placed on the ventilator four times in the last couple of years. He was has been sick since birth, and um, as parents, we never thought that he'd be disabled, so we continue to pay all his bills. Um, we have medical insurance, um, but as you can imagine, we've been traveling to the Mayo Clinic with them, and it's been quite costly. Well, when a child's that sick, it's so difficult for them to work or even go to school. So we applied for disability, and we were frustrated beyond belief when he was denied based on the fact that they said he didn't have enough Social Security credit. And so my question is, how is a 22-year-old child supposed to have enough credit to qualify for disability when they never should have been They've never reached the age of really working full-time anyway. And and what can we do to help support him? Because as his parents, we know that we won't be here forever. Right, Um, right. And, uh, yeah, I've got an adult daughter with a disability. She's able to work some. So Social Security disability is for someone who has worked and paid into the Social Security system with Social Security taxes enough quarters of coverage, which he apparently has not done. And you have to have a certain number within the five years before you apply. So that's not available to someone who has not worked enough. But then there is childhood disability benefit, which is for a child who was disabled prior to age 22, whose parent starts drawing either Social Security disability or retirement. So if I started drawing Social Security retirement, I'm 63 next week. And uh, if I did that, my daughter would be entitled, since she was disabled with cerebral palsy from birth, she would be entitled to draw half of my Social Security retirement check as a benefit of her own under the childhood disability benefit. But it sounds like you're too young to apply for Social Security. You and your husband are not trying to get on Social Security disability or retirement yet. So my fallback position, I think, is try for SSI. That is the low income and low assets provision for someone who is disabled. They may have never worked. They don't have to have paid into the system. But they are disabled enough that Social Security finds them disabled, and he has less than $2,000 of money in his name. So when my daughter was found, when applied for Medicaid as a child, uh, she had some savings bonds and things that her grandfather, my dad, had given her. So um, we had to spend that money on some things, but try for SSI. Go to the social security, ssa.gov, and try for that. All right, Robin, thank you for your call. Charles, we are not going to get to your call. We've reached the end of the show, but you can send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Attorney Courtney, thank you so much for being in today. And Professor Gershon, thank you for being on as well. Uh, Jonas Adams was our board operator, and I believe Sam Wells was our call screener. That's going to wrap us up here on In Legal Terms. Uh, Coming up next is Southern Remedy, relatively speaking with Dr. Susan Buttress. So stay tuned on MPB Think Radio.